Incredible Cinderella story. This unknown comes out of nowhere to lead the pack. Bad Augusta, he's on his final hold. He's about 455 yards away. He's going to hit about a two iron, I think. Boy, he got all of that. The crowd is standing on his feet here at Augusta. The normally reserved Augusta crowd. Going wild. For this young Cinderella, who's come out of nowhere, he's got about 350 yards left. He's going to get about a 500, I expect, don't you think? He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad! Oh, he got all of that one. He's got to be pleased with that. The crowd is just on his feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess, as he, as he lines up this last shot. He's got about 195 yards left, and he's got a... Looks like he's got about an eight. This crowd has gone deadly silent. Cinderella story, out of nowhere. A former greenskeeper now, about to become the Masters champion. <clears throat> it looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole! It's in the hole! Hey, hey, Castle of Wonders Higgins in by two points, 18 to 16, and the cheer in the background wasn't Ray One, it was a fella called Andrew Johns. G'day everybody, it is Warwick Nicholson here, off the deathbed, or at least the lack of voice bed, uh, for episode 140 of Not The Footy Show. You can probably tell, still not 100%, but there were some semi-finals of outstanding rugby league on the weekend. Uh, Newcastle have beaten Melbourne 18 points to 16, and Manly accounted for Cronulla 24 points to 18 on Friday night. Now, I'm going to be joined by Matty Duncan, he's uh, the only one that responded to my <laughs> email to all the co-hosts saying, do you want to talk about football? On this beautiful Sunday, they're obviously out doing more better things than I. I'm still recovering, so I didn't go anywhere. And Maddie has said, well, after I finish work at 9pm, give me a call and we will talk. So we'll speak to Maddie Duncan right after the break here at Not The Footy Show. I hope you enjoyed the intro. That is some of the Bill Murray magic from Caddyshack. That man, absolute genius. So like that Cinderella story that Bill had in Caddyshack, we're going to talk about the ones that have happened maybe the last 15 years in the NRL. Uh, we're also going to talk about something that Craig Bellamy publicised on Saturday before their semi-final as well as a bit of news about Steve Mascord. All this and the player of the finals voting update after two weeks of the semi-finals here on Not The Footy Show, episode 140. All right, you must have been something before electricity, huh? Not The Footy Show. Hopkins gets it away, Hawkins it on, big pop to make some bucks. 
can see Steve Gusco. Absolutely stunning. Look at the scenes here in the Newcastle Tires as they congratulate each other. Melbourne Storm heavy favourites, defending premiers. Outstanding record in finals. Impeccable record at home. They've beaten the Knights twice this season, but the Knights with that coach and these players would have taken that on as a tremendous challenge and they've come here, met that challenge, will walk away winners. They go into the preliminary final to play the Roosters. Brad Fittler, who have you got? It was a huge challenge. We've got Danny Bedeers. Wow. How was that? Oh, the heart's going, mate. How good rugby league when it's like that. It's, it's knocking out, throw them down. And really enjoyed that. It was a, right to the end and you're playing a championship team. And can't believe our boys. They're just so much heart today. I'm that proud of them. Look at the teams you've been over the last three weeks. Now, I know it knew what the Melbourne Storm were. Did you realise that you could ride to this challenge? You had the team to do it. Yeah, we've got some experience there. Some boys have played big games. That's heavily publicised the last week, but we've got some belief. Our coach is outstanding, stealing everything that he knows over those last 25 years and eight premierships into us and just enjoying the ride. Okay, everybody, so Matty Dungan has kindly uh, made himself available after a massive day at work. Buddy, thank you for being on the show. My pleasure, as always, was. And uh, busy day today, mate? Mate, all happening, all happening at labbrokes.com.au today. <laughs> oh, he snuck in a little bit of a, uh, uh, shall we say, a plug. I don't know if that was authorised, but, mate, it's uh, good to have you on. Uh, obviously, you caught both games on the weekend. We've just come out of the audio highlights of Danny Baderis, uh talking about how great it was to not only win on uh, Friday night, but to essentially, you know, uh, continue the fairy tale that is the Newcastle Knights of 2013. Yes, it is a fairy tale at the start of the year, it seemed that, you know, all year actually they've been called, you know, the Dad's Army, so many of those older players, including Badiris himself, and, and no one really gave them any chance heading down to, to Melbourne to take on the, the defending premiers, but a, a bit of Wayne Bennett magic and... Uh, they're one, one game away from a grand final. Well, we're both sitting here looking pretty stupid because we were pretty convinced the Storm would win the comp. And they've gone out in straight sets, so uh, don't listen to us, everybody. No longer the good judges, well, if we ever were. But we've, uh, we've completely uh, swung and missed on the Storm, haven't we? Haven't we? We, we kind of just both thought they had something up their sleeve and were half-boxing, but, but they were obviously full pelt and we've misread them. Yeah, the, the biggest part, and we'll jump to Newcastle on the whole Cinderella thing in a sec, but I just want, as a New South Wales fan to know why Cooper Cronk can't play like that in two of every three Origin games every year. <laughs> I know, he was, he, was, he was absolutely dreadful. The kicking game, I don't know, mine didn't have a flash kicking game at, at the best of times, but I, I reckon mine was on about par last <laughs> night. Um, it just, he just looked flustered. And it, it didn't, the strange thing about it was, I mean, it was great to hear Darren Lockyer said one of the immortal uh, commentary lines when he said that, um, Slater's been inside Cronk uh, all night, which was kind of funny, um, and he didn't really stop himself. But the, the best part about that was he was, and Cronk, who usually picks the right time to go for uh, Slater, missed him, I reckon, at least three times where it was open space if he'd passed it back on the inside to Slater. Yeah, that's normally the one of the, you know, the, the best plays going in rugby league is Cronk inside of Slater. They time it so well, they know so well. But yeah, it, it was often... And Melbourne as a whole, like, let's not... Obviously, Cronk is what, the main cog that, that gets that team going, but they were off. They looked flustered all night. You, you know, hats off go off to Newcastle. They went in with a game plan, but, but the Storm teams that we've seen over the years, they, they normally can combat that and, and, and just remain composed. And 
Melbourne really started to panic still 25 minutes yeah. out. They, they look fast, whereas they're normally a team that look, they know they've got 80 minutes to, to get the job done and, and it'll play right to the 80s, but, but they were panicking early in that second half. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I look back at, at week one. You know, if that Billy Slater try is given, who knows, the Storm might have had the week off and they're waiting to play um, Manly this week. I mean, that's just the strange way rugby league can operate sometimes. Look, the Melbourne Storm, worthy winners last year, but... Uh, yeah, you could see it on, on Craig Bellamy's face pretty early on when they kept cutting to the box. He, he looked like a worried man, and, and in the end, he got proven correct. Let's talk about the Newcastle Knights. Uh, they win 18 points to 16. They did lead 18 points to 4, uh, and, and that was just the way that the game had to go for them. It was the same thing to a degree that happened with the Bulldogs the week before. I know they considered the first try to the Bulldogs last week, but the moment they got a sniff and their defence had, had, had stuck strong, because there was a 10-minute period early in the game on Saturday night where Melbourne looked pretty dangerous. But they got the lead, Newcastle, and this Terriers, they wouldn't let go of the bone. Yeah, and, and, and that's the big thing, was they had belief in themselves and in each other, and it come through and it shone through in that game. And, and look, unless the team would have, you know, with the, the two-point lead against the defending Premier, the great Melbourne Storm team, one of the great teams that we've ever seen, you know, would have gave in. But, but they, they had faith in themselves that, no, we're not going to let these guys st- score and get past us. Yeah, it was a very impressive effort, and... The one player that I've got to give a massive rap to for the two games of footy he's played back-to-back, I haven't seen him play this well, I reckon, ever, is Bo Scott. He's done exactly what his coach has asked, and he said, Wayne Bennett's talked to Bo Scott and said, Bo, I brought you here for these kind of games. I need you to shut down the opposition's best back row forward. And for the both two weeks, he shut down Frank Pritchard and he shut down Ryan Hoffman, and it's gone, gone a long way to winning both games for the Knights. Yeah, absolutely. He, he, he was a shining light, and that's, you know, uh, all we're going to... Touch on that. That's what Bennett does so well. Just that confidence. He 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 finds what you know simple, essentially simple jobs for players, and, and just tells them how good they are at that. And they, and they go out feeling bulletproof. He, you know, it's it's a simple strategy that he, he's implemented so well. And we, we've seen Bellamy do similar at the Storm. But look, uh, over over a thirty year career to just keep getting results time after time with different teams. He, he, he's an absolute genius. Yeah, it's clear that the team that's getting off the bus for the Newcastle Knights is the team that Wayne Bennett wants. That famous quote earlier in the year where he just wasn't sure what was happening. Last two weeks, they've been spot on. Look, the player of the year, player of the finals votes actually. Andrew, uh, Adrian McMurray gave four to Tyrone Roberts, two to Kiliwate, one to Bo Scott. Greg Delaney, four to Tyrone Roberts, two to Bo Scott, one to Joseph Lalia, who's playing out of his skin. Uh, I, I gave four to Tyrone Roberts. Chris Housen, I thought, was outstanding off the bench. They didn't get a lot from their starting front rowers, Newcastle, but he came on and he's been playing in the middle of the field. He did outstandingly well, and Bo Scott got one vote. Uh, so that meant that Tyrone Roberts grabbed all three, uh, four votes from that game. Uh, we'll go to the uh, Manly Sharks game afterwards, but basically we'll give you an update on where the player of the finals votes are after two weeks. What you talking about? 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 What British young Cinderella is coming out of nowhere. Buddy, we need to talk about not only the fact that Newcastle, it's an amazing effort to get through the two teams that made the grand final last year, but other Cinderella teams that have happened in the past. Uh, going back to 1998 when the NRL formed and we, we just come back from the split from Super League and, and the ARL, we had a 10-team final series in 1998. I don't know if you recall it very well. You remember the grand final and whatever, but can you tell me where the Canterbury Banks Down Bulldogs finished in 1998? Oh. They were well down, was were they? They were what eighth or ninth? Were they that low? They were ninth. So yep. in today's NRL, they wouldn't even make the finals. Yet they made it all the way to the grand final. They played your Broncos. The Broncos um, killed them on the day after a pretty close first half. But 
they, they, they did give a real side in that first half, though, the Bulldogs, probably the better side. And, yeah. And, you know, probably, the, in all honesty, apart from the Storm grand final, the Warriors are the most nervous I've ever been in the grand final about the Bronx getting beat. It was a strange series, that one, because that was actually a final series that was played over five weeks uh, in 1998. And the Bulldogs had actually won four games in a row to get to the grand final. They had to win five. Like they basically had to play you know, best part of another fifth of their season again to win the comp. So congratulations to the Broncos for winning, but it was an amazing effort to come from ninth to make it all the grand final, all the way to the grand final. It's not something that will be repeated because we won't ever go past, I believe, eight teams in the final series, but an unbelievable effort from them. I just want you to cast your mind back and think of any other... You know, there's one obvious one, which is the Parramatta team in, in 2009, but any other um, special runs from teams, even if they didn't make the grand final? Yeah, as you said, the Hain train led Fairytales of was a great one. And, but my mind was, just the, the Cowboys of 2004, they'd always been the laughing stock since they come into uh, the competition in 95. And in 2004, they just kind of got a roll on in the late part of the season. They snuck into the finals. Um, for the first time, and and but they had to play the all-conquering Bulldogs. It was the old McIntyre system, one v eight. No one gave them any chance against the, the, the high-flying Bulldogs, and they've upset them in week one. And then they had to uh, take on the the Broncos, who'd been defeated by the Storm. So the, I don't know if they'd ever beat the Cowboys. It was something that yeah. you know if the, if the Cowboys had ever beaten the Broncos, there was <laughs> some some stat there, and and it was Gordy Tellis's last game. They yep. beat. Beat the Bronx 10 0. And that was the one played in Townsville, right? Was that the one played in Townsville? Yeah, they moved it. They they decided to move the final up there, and and, uh, then they were one one game away from a a grand final where they took on the Roosters uh, 19. uh, And they lost 19 16, and they they should have probably got a penalty on on full time. The scrum was taken out. But they just punched above their weight. If you go back through their side, this was before Thurston. Joined them yep. the, the following year. Matty Bowen obviously was there, but they had a house pairing of David Miles and, and Nathan Fien. So, um, <laughs> look, just a team that absolutely just punched above their weight, but got on that fairy tale kind of band well or momentum at the end of the year and, and nearly went all the way. Yeah, it was an impressive effort. I remember watching that um, preliminary final, and you know, I, I, it did feel like, you know, although the Roosters were probably the better team on the day, that. Uh, the, the way that game ended wasn't fantastic. It was almost a case of maybe the conspiracy theory was true because no one thought of the Cowboys at that stage. I fast forward no, that's right. 17 <laughs> years. Imagine if that had happened in uh, now, today. We might have had some interesting comments. Um, it, it, it's been going on for nine years. <laughs> so they could have backdated his argument. Uh, it's, it's, it's all a conspiracy, just like moving that semi-final from Brisbane to North Queensland. Um, exactly. Now, the Eels finished seventh in 2000. They got all the way to the preliminary final. Uh, the uh, other teams to make a bit of a runs. The Warriors in 2008 upset Melbourne in the first week of that final series. I remember that vividly because there was no way Melbourne should have lost that game. And the reason that that hurt was because Canberra had finished sixth. And if the Warriors had lost to Melbourne, Canberra would have stayed alive in that 2008 season. And if you recall, we played some pretty decent footy at the end of that year. Uh, so I was a bit disappointed. Parramatta, as we said, eighth in 2009. Uh, uh, and the Roosters uh, made the grand final from sixth in 2010. And the Warriors from sixth in 2011. Lots of other teams have made the preliminary final stage, and sixth seems to be a pretty popular position. If you can finish in sixth, you can make a run under the old system. And I guess, you know, the strange thing about this is we've got the Newcastle Knights with Wayne Bennett, and I'm looking through these lists, and the only time, well, it doesn't happen. There's no, at no stage has Wayne Bennett's actual team made this kind of run within the 1998 onwards. And that's sort of a bit surprising, but 
I guess it's, it's always better, actually, to say to the players, well, I know what it's like when we're actually in a top-four situation, when we're in a minor premiership situation. He knows what it takes to win rather than just make a run, and I think that's the biggest advantage that Bennett gives him. No, oh, that's it. But, you know, and I know we're going a long way back, but the Broncos did come from the you know fifth position back in 93 as well. Yep. So his teams do know, you know, like he, he's got experience to, to tell them. But it's, it's just, you know, what he's going to really drill into them now, he says, oh, you know, I know how to win finals footy from here, you know, and then that's that's the, the fate that some of those players that haven't been there before are going to have. Well, we've, we've got the best in the business when it comes to getting to this position. So if you've got favourite Cinderella teams, people, just post on the Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash Cinderella podcast. I have a quiz for you, mate, that you've got to think about before we get to the end of the show. Last year, we saw Jeff Toovey and Michael Maguire make the preliminary final in their rookie year. Uh, this year, Trent Robinson will do the same thing. Tell me who the last rookie NRL coach was to make a preliminary final at some stage when you get the chance. Uh, we need to look Ricky at... Ricky Stewart. <laughs> no. no. I thought I'd have a punt early. I'll, I'll keep thinking. Well, uh, it could be. I haven't done a lot of research. I just put three and four together and came up with eight. So it could be completely wrong, but I, I'd, I'd hope that you might be able to sneak this one out. I, that's the only clue I can give you.
by Jerry Evans, who's had an outstanding day. He's been phenomenal. Just look at the pain on these Canada players who put in a tremendous performance for their last game of the season. But I've got to admire what the Manly Club has done here. Backing up from that physical and most brutal, brutal of occasions last week against the Roosters, to be taken to the wire of the ADMMF tonight and keep finding the courage has been phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. What a game. Andrew Johns. That was Kieran Ford. What a courageous win. Yeah, mate. Um, look, it was, we knew it was going to be tough coming up against the Sharks. So I really play a physical style of footy and uh, we knew after last week's effort we were going to have to go up another notch. And, you know, I thought, I thought we uh, didn't have to win tonight. How much is going to be left in the tank? What, what do you do during the week to, to, to get the petrol tanks back up? Oh, look, we're not doing a lot at this stage. Uh, as you can tell, it's just about recovering from the games and just freshening up, making sure we can put in a good 80-minute performance uh, for each game from here on in. So uh, there won't be too much training this week, just freshening up. Yeah, put the feet up. Thanks, mate. Over to you, Freddie. Thanks, mate. Did you feel like you just ran out of luck? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I, you know, I'll be honest, I thought it was a pretty good game. Uh, it was outstanding. Yeah, it was a good game. I mean, if you're going to go down, I suppose you want to go down like that. We went down swinging. We threw everything at them. I thought their kicking game was probably just a bit better than ours. Two tries, or three tries in the fifth tackle, two by kicks in the first half. And, uh, pretty costly, especially the one before half-time. But, uh, yeah, they're a good time. Did you feel like you had them? Well, I think the whole, the whole arena thought you were coming to get a bit. Did you feel it? Yeah, well, we were. I mean, I, I scored a try, but obviously, going back and looking at it, you know, we had a bit of luck last week. And, against us this week, so yeah, all in all three, it was, it was a cracking game, we threw everything at him and they beat us, so. Uh, look, let's look at Manly and Cronulla, uh, this was a, a fantastic game of rugby league, so was the Newcastle-Melbourne um, game, but the, sort of the difference in these two matches was the first 20 minutes of Melbourne and Newcastle was amazing, the last 15 minutes of Cronulla and uh, Manly was just about as good as it gets, so that, that was just one team clearly making a surge and doing everything they can to try and level the game up, and the other team, as Gus said, out of gas, but somehow finding a way to, to hold on. Yeah, it was just great rugby league, and, you know, just the desperation from the Sharks and, and a team, absolutely, that, that just were, were limping home, and, you know, like a, a tired racehorse that had led all the way and was just looking for the finish line and, and just held on. It, it, was, it was great rugby league. Yeah, and, and the great thing to see from a Cronulla point of view is we've just played it, but... The Paul Gallon interview afterwards, I don't know if you caught it, buddy, but, you know, as much as he's made some comments against different things over the course of the year that I haven't agreed with, um, and we're obviously he's a bit of a public enemy number one in origin and all this kind of stuff, he, he didn't really blow up at the end of the match. He just said, look, we threw everything we had at this team and they were still better than us. That's about as refreshing an interview or a losing captain comment I've ever heard. There was no, like, sense of, oh, don't talk to me, we lost. It was... Full credit to them. They're just, they're just better than us. And, and that was just a really encouraging way to wrap up the game because it was that good, game, that, that good a game of football that you just go, OK, I agree with you, Paul Gallon. If you're going to lose, that's the way you want to lose. Yeah, that's right. You've left nothing in the bank. You, you just know that you're not ruling anything. You threw everything at them. You've, just, and you've only come up a fraction short. So, yeah, no, I, I heard the interview and I, I was wrapped with it. A little bit disappointed the next day, Fox Sports News, where, you know, I've, I've turned it on and they're talking about more controversy with refereeing decisions. Look, there was a couple, but they were really 50 50. That really took away from the game, talking about a couple of, you know, 50 50 video ref calls yeah. and, and, and obviously 
the, the John Morris incident later game, which I, <laughs> I you know, I, I feel they were both right calls, and it was nothing like the week before. Yeah, the, the Tafil one's been intriguing me a little bit. I've mean, watched it a couple more times. I just, I don't think it's anywhere near the level of power or anything like that. I think there's a case that his arm stays on the ball, and the whole argument for the last however many years has been as long as there's separation, you can say no try, but it never actually loses contact with his arm, best you could tell. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't see any issue at it and that it was even being de- debated at the time. And I, you know, you know no, I, I was purely impartial on, on that game, so... Yeah, yeah I, I, was, I was more than happy with, with it to be awarded a try. The last point on this game, um, obviously Manly go through. Look, last year I was doing some work with them and, and their players were just tanked heading into that Melbourne semi-final, like preliminary final because they played two really physical games leading up. Can't give them much hope next week, but I mean, if they're going to get any uh, learning into how to prepare for this year's semi-final, it'll come from their experience last year when they got blown away by Melbourne. Uh, the, the player of the year votes... I uh, play the final, sorry, votes. Uh, was Ben House saw it as DCE four votes, Gordon two votes, what my one vote. Matt Spillane saw it as DCE four votes, Fafita two votes, Brenton Lawrence one vote. He had a huge first half. And then Matty Duncan, which is yourself, uh, had Peter Hicku, who's played two of the best semi finals you'll see from a rookie in succession, got four votes, Andrew Fafita two votes, and DCE with one vote. Now, the quick thing on Manly is that Brett Stewart's hamstring, we'd been telling everybody if they were listening that he was no chance at playing last week and that he was a serious chance at not playing this week. As Peter Hickey goes, how how can you leave him out of the team? Who has to miss out? I I, I actually thought about that during the, the game. Well, if Stewart comes back, you know where where do you fit him? You, you can hardly sneak him on the wing. You got two of the best try scoring wingers this year in the game, so you you can't probably cut in. You know, cut one of those guys. No, I don't know. But geez, he impressed me. It was he could constantly found space. Look, you know, he looked like a five six year veteran playing there at the back, and and just added. Something different to the Manly team—a real enthusiasm at the back. I thought. Yeah, and you got to play Brett Stewart fullback. There's no—we're not saying you got to play Hickey out of Brett Stewart. That's not even part of the conversation. But you got to find a way to get Hickey involved because uh, he was fantastic. Uh, at the very least, he'll be on the bench. Um, you would imagine if Brett Stewart plays. The, the, the difference in this game—it it comes down to the fact that I just refuse to believe that you can win a competition with uh, Ben Pomeroy, Jonathan Wright, and Sisif Iafeki. Uh, and Jeff Robson in your back line. Uh, they're solid players, but they're, they're not difference makers. And, and in the end, the difference was DCE, Kieran Foran. I mean, you've got to have class in your back line. Um, Jamie Lyon wasn't fantastic, but it, the Sharkies, they've bought, made a couple of buys for next year. There's apparently an Englishman possibly coming, Briscoe, but they, they just need to make a big, big change out wide because they really didn't get a whole lot. I know Jonathan Wright played okay, but you just need, you need more strike. You can't win with that group. I, I agree. And this week we'll mention and we'll go in. Halves and halves with experience in big games, are, are, you know, and this, this is where they really pay dividends. You need a good half all year, but these finals games are where, where halves come into their own. Absolutely. Now, we'll quickly just give you the leaderboard update after two weeks of the Interplay uh, player of the finals. Gordon, Michael Gordon has 14 votes. Uh, Tyrone Roberts, 12. Bo Scott, 12. Daly Cherry Evans, 9. Peter Hickory, 9. James Maloney, 8. Sam Burgess, 6. Jeff Lima, 6. Jeremy Smith and Achille Uate, five each. So the way it works is there's three voters each game, four two ones. Next week, same deal, three voters each game, four two ones. And for the grand final, we put five lucky people in the hot seat. And basically, if you are the best player in the grand final, you can win this award because you've got a potential of 20 votes. Hey, don't put yourself down, Al. You're not, uh, you're not, you're not good. You stink. 
Mate, we've got to get through the next couple of things because I don't want it to be too long, this podcast. Uh, basically, we'll talk about Steve Mascord first. He's going to step away from the, the basically seven-day work week that he's been doing. He's working for about seven different organisations. Uh, and it's not because of uh, tiredness, uh, although that's obviously a factor. Uh, can you just sum up, in short, what you think uh, basically Steve Mascord said in one of his articles on uh, City Morning? Well, the, one, the one word to sum it up, he's a very disillusioned man, isn't he, what? Yep. You know, he, he, he's kind of lost faith in in, in rugby league administrators and, and, and you know, the, the ability to get truth and report on the truth in the game. The, the biggest part of, of his comment, and I think it might have even been the article before this one, he mentioned how he'd not met David Smith yet, who's the CEO of um, the NRL. Now, I'm not going to blame anyone for, for that not happening, but, you know, you'd like to think that you'd sit down and you'd look at the thing and say, OK... We know that a couple of people at another paper, look, they're just, they're just basically they're trying to sell papers, okay? So I don't really have to spend a lot of time with them, okay? Fair enough. But guys like Mascord and, and, and other people, Roy Masters and whatever, you'd think that you'd want to at least sit down and say, look, what's your feedback on the way that things have been happening? Um, because they seem to be the guys that are a little bit straight down the line as much as anything, and, and they'd be the ones that I, and I... I'm not in that position, obviously, but in CEO-wise, but I'd want to talk to those guys and at least get a feel for what is bugging them if they're the ones that you actually, you know, use the word, not lightly here, but respect. Oh, absolutely, wasn't it? And, you know, they, they portray the image of the game and, and they, they, get your, they can get your message out there. If, you, if you've got them on, on site, I'm not saying they're going to be biased, but if you've got them on site, you know, they've, they've got a real feel for the game. They, they, they've got so many contacts. You know, that should have been something first week in the job you, you should have been talking to. And Mascor, just to... Basically, rugby league week, Sydney Morning Herald, ABC Radio, Triple M, um, and SteveMaskell.com's website. Like he's he's a lot of places, um, but he's going to step back a little bit on having too much uh, during the week stuff. His biggest gripe was you ring for a quote about actually something that he thought was factual, and you basically get double speak or we can't comment on. And this is all, yeah, it's just this micromanagement kind of thing that he just can't understand. Like what's wrong with some truth every so often is basically his gripe. Uh, Masky, we we. I know him. I've worked him in the box a bunch of times. Um, great bloke. Uh, hopefully, he's not lost to the game entirely. He's not going to be everybody, but um, he's just saying, "Look, help." Uh, now, Craig Bellamy. We want to follow on this last point. Um, quick one. Have you figured out who the last coach to make a preliminary final was in his rookie year? Hook Griffin. No. Mm. Preliminary final because I think Hooks was the second year, wasn't it? Um, was Hooks second year? 2011 yeah. or was it his first year? Scintillating radio would help if the host did his research. Uh, 2011 was... 2011 was his first year. Oh, they made the preliminary final. There you go. Uh, good, good good, research was. Um, basically, it was Ivan Henjak was the one I was thinking of. Cause he oh, made... well, there you go. <laughs> so yeah, we just yeah. had to go to Brisbane. Uh, so as I said, everybody, I hadn't done all the research, but, you know, good on you, was. Uh, okay, uh, the next part, mate, we just quickly want to touch on Craig Bellamy's article in The Australian talking about attracting a crowd to the finals game in Melbourne on Saturday. How did he explain, the way you read it, that he thought the NRL should be doing something about it? Yeah, well, well his point was, well, oh, his point was, was <laughs> um, that, uh, you, know, you know, Melbourne is such an AFL stronghold, it's final, so it's hard to get a, a, a leg up there, but there was opportunity Saturday night, uh, there was no finals football in Melbourne, the game was over in Fremantle. They had a chance to to attract a, a crowd. 
uh, to Melbourne. But he, his fear was that because of ticket prices, and ticket prices were higher at the Melbourne game than they were for the Sydney final, you know, new people, it was just going to turn them away. He, his thing was not to throw open the gates, but certainly make the ticket prices much more attractive and, and try and get a crowd. Because he said anyone that has ever come to a game has come again. It's just about attracting those people that first time. Yeah, and the key word he he used for me is he said, it's a spare Saturday night in September. Now, how rare is that in Melbourne? Because you usually will have a lot of Melbourne teams how up in the in the finals race, and usually it's the MCG uh, both nights. It's a, like, it's a huge miss to only get 19,649 to Amy. It was bad enough we only got 23,837 at the SFS. The biggest issue that I have with it, and, and we've talked about this in the past, buddy, about how why there isn't a centralised NRL membership that covers everything for the whole year, I'll, I just will never understand. You can, you can have it still have an element of, of being part of your club, but you can also buy a, a membership that allows you to get in any game, basically. I, I don't know, it just oh. makes sense to me. But the quick one is he said there's 15,000 members of the Storm, but they don't get a huge discount. I mean, they get some sort of discount for the, for the semi-final, but I don't know, for things like that, it just should be part of your membership. If you make, this, you make the, at least the first two weeks of the finals, your membership just ticks over and you, and you get a ticket to that game. I don't know. I, Part of it just doesn't make sense that we, we make it harder for people to go to semi-finals than it needs to be. That's how I feel about it. Oh, and I agree, Was, and, and we've probably... Oh, I really think we've missed the boat in Melbourne. We've never seen a rugby league team like Melbourne Storm, and yeah. look, there's a few asterisks around why they were so so great. And One of the great dynasties in rugby league, probably coming to an end, and, and when we walk away from it, we, you know... Melbourne as, as a rugby league town is is still where it should be, and, and it's just been such a missed opportunity to leverage off of what we've seen in Melbourne. And, and Melanie made a great point just isolating this game Saturday night where we could have done so much more. Yeah, no, if you haven't read it, just go to the Australian website. Um, it, it's just, I mean, it, the funniest thing about it actually is that whether, I don't know if it was a ghost written or not, but he would have given his decent points, but. Uh, one of the things that I learnt last year working um, in the NRL, back back of the NRL, was that the Melbourne Storm don't like being called the Melbourne Storm. They're just Melbourne Storm. It's a brand thing that yep. they've got going. And I think about six times through his article, he says the Storm or the Melbourne Storm. Um, so I yep. don't know if it's necessarily all his words, but the de- definite feel is is coming from him is that, you know, let's make every single effort we can to try and get people through the gates for these games because we've seen it, Matt. In the last two weeks, we've seen... Six games of footy that have got ninety-five percent of the regular season covered. Oh, absolutely! It's it's top shelf stuff. It's it's quality product. It's yeah. It's we just can't get the people there. Speaking of quality product, not the footy show has just ended for you, everybody. Uh, this has been episode one hundred and forty. Elvis wants some lemonade. Lemonade. <laughs> that cool, refreshing drink. I have a radical plan to save the NYC, buddy. Save the NYC in September, because I'll reveal it all next time we speak. But essentially, how the heck did it make sense to play both NYC semifinals on a Friday afternoon when everybody's at work, and then not play a game in Melbourne on Saturday when we're trying to get people into a new game? Give them two games. I don't know. It just makes... It would have made sense. So we've done that, and I've got an idea that is staring us... The answer is staring us in the face how to fix this for next season. 
And you have to wait till we talk next time, not the footy show for that 141. Oh, that's too, you'll have to give me a hint sometime off air. Was, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, I don't know if I can wait that long. I'm very excited. But let's just say, if we're going to keep the NYC, this is one way that we might actually make it worth attending, is the best way I'll put it out there. Uh, everybody, I've been Warwick Nicholson. That has been Matty Duncan. I'm, for some reason, still able to get through 26 minutes of talking. I don't know how, I'm not going to be able to speak tomorrow, but it's been fun to talk to Matty Duncan because he, he knows things, people, and, and you should follow him on Twitter. You should listen to his radio show. He's at Mr Peninsula. He's on 101.5 FM in Queensland every Thursday morning. He is the man who just has a plan. You can catch me at NRL Tweet and wdnicholson.com. That's wdnicholson.com. Thanks for your time tonight, buddy. Good on you, was and big effort. A uh, bit manly like, mate. You were doing it tough, but you got there in the end. <laughs> Don't compare to manly. <laughs> this crowd is going deadly silent. Cinderella story out of nowhere. Pepsi. <laughs>